but it doesn't matter if you're with a group of people and you're not on the same page because you don't get something that everybody else gets, or if you're not on the same page because you get something that nobody else gets. The feeling of isolation and loneliness on both the fringes feels exactly the same. You feel just as isolated. That feeling of isolation that it can cause when you're in a place maybe where you're not quite as secure, you don't know yourself as well. You're not willing to accept those things that you don't do well because you're not willing to accept those things that you do do well. As people with ADHD, I think we like certainty. I don't like living in the gray. It can be really challenging to have to try to live in the gray when you're looking for absolutes. In those cases where I would have those moments, then my thoughts were absolute. I was absolutely wrong. It would never occur to me that that could be a possibility. ADHD Rewired Episode 106. This is the show designed to help those of us who have really good intentions and a slightly wandering attention. My name is Eric Tivers. I'm a licensed clinical social worker, coach, and consultant. We know that starting can be the hardest part, so let's get started. But first, let me thank our sponsors. Are you or someone you know looking to hire a speaker to talk about ADHD? Go to ADHDrewired.com and click the speaking tab. Fill out the form there and we'll be in touch. That's ADHDrewired.com. Click on speaking. Support for this podcast comes from Audible. For a free audiobook download, go to ericktivers.com slash audible for a link for that free download and for some hand-picked recommendations, go to erictibbers.com slash audible for your free audiobook download. <laughs> Welcome back to another episode of ADHD Rewired. I am thrilled to welcome to the virtual ADHD Rewired Studios my guest, Brett Thornhill. Brett was diagnosed with ADHD when he was 43 and which led him down a process that eventually led him to walk away from an established 20-year career in marketing that ultimately led him to the creation of what he refers to now as Brett 2.0. While receiving, I, I couldn't help it, but I had to do that, that <laughs> voice when I saw that. Um, I didn't even plan that. It just kind of came out. While receiving the diagnosis, um, was a shock at the time. He since realized that it was the catalyst he required to help him better understand, accept, and embrace who he really was. Oh, that's so true for so many of us. Mm-hmm. And perhaps more importantly, what he was meant to do in his life. He now operates an ADHD practice, coaching practice in St. John's, Newfoundland. Is it Finland? Foundland? Newfoundland. Newfoundland sound looks like Newfoundland. I know. Everybody, so if you're looking for something, go to Newfoundland. Um, it's on the east coast <laughs> <everyone>. of Canada. <laughs> Maybe that's why there's a lot of ADHD out there. Um, and he works with with uh, parents of children with ADHD as well as adults. Um, Brett, welcome to the podcast. And thanks, thanks for so much being for having me. I really appreciate it. This is I, great. I know that both of us are um, we're sort of having some some uh, almost senior pain. You're having back issues. I'm having rib issues. Um, you were also, were you a little under the weather this week? 
Yeah, no, it's mainly it's just been I've I've been, you know, off my feet a lot and I've been on my feet too much and I've got yeah, back issues and I'm just getting old, man. That's, oh man. And you're not you're not that. You're 40 something. What are what are you? 40 I I'll, I'm almost 49. Almost 49 and uh we were sh- we were talking about our our back woes uh before I hit record <laughs> and uh we we both had bone doctors say the same thing to us at different points of our our life and we are both been told that we have the spine of a 60 something year old yeah it almost it turns into a competition it's like oh yeah well my doc said 75 oh yeah (laughs) well i shrunk an inch and a half there you go true story um no so well welcome and uh you know if you need to take a a break to walk around move around that we'll we'll just pause it and edit and that's that's the beauty of podcasting thanks so much i appreciate that well thanks for being here brett so where do you want to get started on your store so what is let's just start with the what is Brett 2.0? <laughs> well, now you make it sound weird when you say it that way. Um, no, it, it really, you know, I think there's just been such a profound change in my life before my diagnosis, my ADHD diagnosis, and after. And I used to refer to myself as, this is kind of funny, but at first I would refer to myself as the bad Brett. Bad Brett was before ADD. <laughs> And, then and I that's thought, what you well, would say, actually, before you were diagnosed with ADHD, you would refer to yourself as bad Brett. Well, after my diagnosis, when I started comparing the two kind of, you know, lives, I would tell people, you know, well, that was the bad Brett. And okay. they bad Brett, and I go, well, yeah, before ADD. And I thought, well, that doesn't really sound good because I, I wasn't a bad guy. Right, I, right. I, Sounds kind of self-shaming. Yeah. So I, so I decided, well, that wasn't going to work. So instead, I decided to go with a much more positive and a much more empowering Brett 2.0. And what it, it's just basically, I mean, there has been such a profound change in my life since my diagnosis. And it didn't occur, it didn't occur at the moment of my diagnosis. It didn't occur even, you know, within the first year after my diagnosis. It started a process. And that process then led to so many changes in my life. You can hear he's from Canada when he said process. <laughs> It, it always catches my ear. <laughs> I've been called on that one before, actually. I have. That's okay. Uh, uh, so, but it started that process, which allowed me to kind of no, be, just Brett, be yourself, please. Yeah. Okay. All right. Yeah. <laughs> There's nothing I'm bad good. about going process. <laughs> it's just different. It just uh, it, it let me see myself in a different way. It let me view the world around me in a different way. Mm-hmm. It, you know, it's kind of the same experience that everybody has when they're diagnosed later in life is that you get to kind of make sense of some of the things that haven't made sense to you up to that point. Um, you don't find excuses for some of the things that have happened in your life, but you, you certainly establish reasons. And yeah. I think then it's what you do with that. It's like, how do you, do you, do you use that to shame yourself? Which maybe is what I started doing at first when I would talk about the bad break, mm-hmm. you know? Or do you use it to start to empower yourself? And there was a time when I think after my diagnosis, I very much went through what I found out since is pretty normal. I went through a mourning period. I, yeah. think. I went through this whole, you know, there's that initial kind of shock and then there's the denial and then there's the acceptance and there's the anger. And I, Depression. I know now that, yeah, yeah, I was mourning the person that I thought I might've been had I only known when I was 12. You know, and I think that's such an important point. And I know that in past, uh, it's probably been a while, but in past episodes, I know that we have talked about that, that grieving process when you do have that kind of later in life diagnosis, because you're grieving the life that could have been if you would have known. Right. Um, and so I just think that's, you know, 
when we understand that, uh, it it allows us to have some more compassion, uh, to, you know, for for ourselves and to understand the process that we're going through. I know that when I was uh, first diagnosed, um, the first few weeks after I started taking Adderall, like I I got quite depressed because it I was very much in that. Oh my gosh, like I struggled through school so much, mm-hmm. and it's like now I could sit down and I could read a chapter and I. And I could tell you what I read. Like I'm enjoying school for the first time in my life, yeah. you know, versus it being something, Oh, I have to do this. Like now I'm enjoying learning. I always enjoyed learning, but the way that it was delivered, I always had a hard time with. So that yeah. morning period, absolutely. But then it sounds like, uh, as with me, that, that morning turned to self-determination. Absolutely. I think I, I, I got to the point where I just got tired. I got tired of kind of feeling sorry for myself. I still hadn't made the career switch and, and that led to some pretty dark times and some, some uh, pretty significant issues. Um, but at the very least, when it came to the ADHD, and that's kind of where I arrived at what I now call, it's like the three pillars. It's yeah. the pillars that I use for my own life. They're the pillars that I use when I coach others. Um, they're, and it's, it's the three pillars of understanding, accepting, and embracing. First of all, you have to understand what ADHD is and what it's not, you know, what it doesn't have to be. And then once you have a clear understanding of what's going on here and you have reasons, not excuses, but reasons for why things are the way they are, Mm -hmm. then I think you can move into acceptance. And I'm always really careful to tell people that acceptance is not resignation. There's a huge difference between acceptance and resignation. I don't resign myself to anything, but I accept what is. Mm -hmm. And it's equally important to accept those things that challenge you and those things that you find difficult as it is to accept those things that you're really good at, because sometimes that's even tougher. It's even more difficult to take on and accept and to be able to acknowledge those things that you're really good at. So that's really interesting. It's almost like if we're really good at something, we look at that and say, well, that's not work because it comes easy. It's too easy. Right. Right. It's like, no, like that, that's when we look at what, what are the gifts or the things that you're really good at and come easy. Like that, those are called gifts. Yeah. Yeah. And that is part of the acceptance. Everybody kind of, when I, when I, when I talk about these, most people will think that the acceptance is all about accepting that, well, I can't be as good as I thought I was, or mm-hmm. I can't do certain things or I can't, but that's not even the biggest part of acceptance. The, the bigger, the more, again, empowering part of acceptance is accepting who you are, not who you aren't. Mm. And then only from there, I think, can you get to the place where you can start to embrace and embrace who you are, embrace what it is you're good at, embrace the fact that there are others that, that you can get help from, embrace that help that's coming from others and is being offered from others, mm-hmm. and find something in your life that is going to make it make sense. I mean, I spent most of my life feeling like a square peg in a round hole, just like most people who are probably listening out there. Mm-hmm. And finally, it's like, and it's weird because so many people that I speak to have ADHD, they have kind of a similar story where they say, I know I'm supposed to do something. I just don't know what it is. I'm Mm -hmm. waiting for this flash of lightning to come where I figure it out. I feel so fortunate now that I honestly, for the first time in my life, I get to do what I really think I was put on this earth to do. But do you believe that? I mean, uh, yeah, I, I hear what you're saying about the people waiting for that flash of lightning. And one of the things I tell people, well, you might be waiting for that a long time because the, the chances that you get struck by lightning are very, very low. Yeah. Um, so you better go out there with a lightning rod and go find lightning. You yeah. Know? Yeah, you do. You, you, you had to seek it. You had to look for it. It's mm-hmm. like 
And that, I guess, that's the danger in having this sort of a conversation sometimes. You know, when I talk about the diagnosis and the change it made in my life, yes, it made a change in my life, but that doesn't mean that I was passive and I sat back and didn't do anything. I mean, I had to go get it. I had to go after it. I had to find it. So there was an active, you know, there was something, you know, actively that I had to do. I, I I started in it when I'd find things that, that blocked me or things that got in my way, my language changed from, you know, I can't do that. I don't know how to do that to which are very kind of, they're stopping that's stopping language. Mm-hmm. That's stuff that stops in your tracks to language that was more along the lines of, I haven't learned how to do that yet. I have to learn how to do that. Yeah, I have to that, that, that is so important. I, I, I am with, with clients in my office, especially with, with kids that I work with, um, where they're like, oh, I can't do that. I'm always, I kind of always lean in. I'm like, yet, yeah, <laughs> you know, exactly. you know, and it's, and I try to encourage people to sort of have fun with the process because if you allow it to be sort of this process of, of discovery and uh, look at our lives as these experiments and we get to see what works and what doesn't like, all right, so we don't know how to do that yet. You know, right. like I haven't figured out how to have super healthy sleep hygiene yet. Right. I'm making progress, but I haven't gotten to where I want to be. <laughs> well, because how often do we, you know, how often we do we fall, use that as a fallback? It's, I can't do that. I'm in this right. job. I can't change jobs. Well, why can't you change jobs? Well, I can't change jobs because I have a house and I have a mortgage and I have kids and I have cars and I have, okay, so let's step back. Let's just for academic purposes, let's just for, for giggles, let's talk about what would have to change for you to do that. And when you had that conversation and they go, well, we'd have to sell a car. Okay. You'd have to sell a car. All right. Let's put that over here. That's something you have to do in order to make this change. You get a list of things that suddenly, and some of them may be drastic. Some of them aren't as drastic. And you get to say, you can no longer say I can't because now you know how you can. Now it's a choice. And it's a choice of how far down that continuum you want to go. That change continuum. Yes. You may want to go far enough down that change continuum. I mean, I, just I had a twenty year career in marketing, advertising. What did you do as a marketer and advertiser? Then I want to go come back to this. Um Yeah, okay. Um yes, tell us tell me what you did as as a marketer and advertiser, and then I want to go down the uh um and talk about what in, in as a cognitive behavioral therapist, um we look at this as the downward arrow um kind of exercise. Okay. Uh, so I do want to come back to that. So but I'm am totally interested in in your your Brett one career. Okay. Which, you know, Brett 1.0 wasn't that bad. I mean, I, you know, that's why it was difficult for me some, in some ways to accept my, my diagnosis because I had a pretty good life. I had a great family. I had two kids. I have a wonderful wife that I've been with forever. As I told you just before the show, I mean, we've been together since I was 16 years old. And we, she, were, we were both talking about our wives before we hit record. Yeah, and were uh, one of the things we were angels. most grateful for, I, mean, I, I mentioned that you know, my wife is the reason my underwear gets picked up off the floor and all <laughs> other kinds of tasks that that I try to as often as I can to let her know how grateful I am for her doing all those executive function types of things that probably wouldn't get done if it weren't for her. And, you know, Annie, my wife is she's I just blanketly refer to her as my prefrontal cortex. So, let's just take this quick moment then if you know, if if your spouse or partner helps you out in a lot of these little ways make it make a note to yourself today 
to make sure that you thank them for those little things. And if it's not something you typically do, you will be amazed by how appreciative that person is for being thanked for all those little things. Because I know that, that I don't try to leave a mess wherever I go. It just sort of happens like magically. Um, But I always make sure to let my wife know that I appreciate all the things that she does to kind of help out. And she doesn't, you know, she doesn't make me feel bad about it ever. Um, which is, you know, and if, if you're someone who's trying to understand your spouse with ADHD, one of the worst things you can do is to make them feel bad about it. Cause then you just go into defense mode and then it makes it harder for that person to take ownership of it. So, um, so just thank that person that you love. All right. Yeah. I, 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 I wrote down the downward spiral cause I didn't want to forget that. Um, but I want to tell me what you did as a marketer. So I, I worked, uh, I work mainly in destination marketing. So I come from this place on the far east coast of Canada called Newfoundland. That's how we pronounce it is Newfoundland. Uh, everyone who from outside this place pronounces it Newfoundland or Newfoundland. Um, so the simple little uh, mnemonic we give them is understand Newfoundland. There you go. Now you have it. Uh, so I, I worked in uh, destination marketing we marketed the uh what does the that mean, destination that I live in. marketing well it, it means marketing the province or in your case it would be the state that i live in uh, as a travel destination as a tourism okay. destination so i got a chance and this is a wonderful unique place that i have such a passion for that it was easy to get excited about that it was easy to get interested in, uh, about that because it was something that i really loved and there are aspects of that job that really I really disliked, you know, and there were, but it it allowed me to be able to, and I had no idea at the time, but it allowed me to be able to tap into that creative, innovative kind of side. We worked with, uh, you know, wonderful agencies who would execute the creative, but I got to be involved in the, at the strategic level. I got to feedback. I got to be involved in that process, which was process, which was, but it, it allowed me to be involved in, in, in that process and allowed me to be able to at least dip my toe in, in that creative area. I mean, I, I've been kind of creative my whole life. I play music. I, yeah, you I play guitar, right? Yeah. So, um, and I'm, there was a time when I would have, if someone would have said that I would have come back with a whole pile of defensive reasons why, well, yeah, I kind of play guitar. I, I used to be really, oh gosh, I was guilty of that yesterday. Oh I'm owning God. it. I'm owning it. Yes. You need to own it. <laughs> I would, I, I would reason, always, you know, the reason I do, cause I, I play piano, like I, I will own it. I, I play piano. I've been playing piano since I was like four, you know, three or four years old. So right. like to me, like sitting down in front of a piano, like I'm making love with that piano. I'm so connected with that piano. Right. So it's like, I, I could say confidently I play piano. So when I look at like comparing that with my guitar playing skills, I was like, I fiddle around a little bit. <laughs> Well, but that's how I've always been. I mean, I've played guitar now for some 27 years. And Holy crap, you don't just fiddle around then. Well, but I, I could never kind of own it. So if, if somebody, if, if anyone ever dared call me a musician, I would say, no, I'm not a musician. I'm somebody who plays the guitar. I, I dabbled in professional photography for a while. I, 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 again, it was that creative outlet. And if anyone dared call me a photographer, I'd go, no, I'm just somebody who takes pictures. Um, I would literally argue and I've only just recently gotten past this. If somebody, if I play in front of somebody and they compliment me on a piece that I've done or, or, or you know, I've sung or whatever, I would argue with them 
I would tell them why they were wrong. It was so disrespectful now. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's, a, that's a pain in the ass thing to do, Brett. You know? It was, but it was. It was really disrespectful because <laughs> essentially what I was telling. Uh, so I would always say, oh, you must be drunk. Because <laughs> uh, <you know, laughs> in my mind, I was always, I, I, I idolized James Taylor, for example. So if I played a James Taylor piece, it's well, never going to sound like You can't compare yourself to James I, Taylor, you know? It's <laughs> of course not. It's ludicrous. But in my mind, when they would say, that was really good, I really enjoyed that, I would start to tell them why it wasn't as good as it could have been. And it was so you, just, you, you enjoyed then sucking the enjoyment out of the, per, the what you just gave that person. You know, Absolutely. And, and, and bring this up sort of, you know, uh, kind of calling out the absurdity of it. I think we all do things like that. And what's yeah. really interesting, you know, I, the other half of my practice, I work with individuals, uh, apparently with, with high-functioning autism. And, <laughs> you know, one of the interesting things about um, when we're teaching social skills is that you can't just teach rote skill because everything is so context-based. Mm-hmm. The one thing that you can pretty much just have a, have a rote kind of response to when someone gives you a compliment, say thank, say thank you. you. Like I can't, I've yet to find a, a situation where that doesn't work and where it's not appropriate. You know, so it's, if you find that you're a person that deflects the compliment, really just try to make a, a note and really try to practice just saying thank you, even if it feels uncomfortable. And you know what? It will feel uncomfortable at first because we're sort of being flooded with like these positive feelings about something that we're kind of not used to. And our, and our brain and body goes, wait, what? You're, you're, you're accepting that as a compliment? Just sit with that, that feeling of being uncomfortable and it will get easier and you're actually helping people around you feel better being around you. So, yeah. um, so I found a little brain hack for that. Actually, yeah, for, share it, please bridge, bridge that, uh, you know, that gap between being very uncomfortable with it and, and becoming comfortable with it. Now I'm comfortable with thank you. But for a while, I, I, I couldn't get comfortable with simply thank you. So I started saying thank you. That's very generous of you. Because it allowed me to be able to still kind of hang on to that little, you know, piece of you really I appreciate what you're saying, but you don't really know what you're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> but it doesn't really come off that way. So it was kind of in your head. Your, yeah. So I would say, thank you. That's very generous of you. And now I've actually graduated to a full on thank you, which is pretty simple. I mean, this is it's a ludicrous conversation, but that's the difference between Brett 1.0 and Brett 2.0. That, that, that's an example. So what, what? tell me in your marketing uh, kind of world, what were the things that were hard for you? Because um, obviously the, the creative piece is, is you know, oh, great. Right. It's like falling off a log. Absolutely. Right. It was very easy. Um, you know, anything logistical, anything that and, um, you know, someone once somebody who, who taught me once told me that, uh, you know, a great marketing executive has one primary job to her two primary jobs, I guess, or one job broken into two pieces is to write things down that you need to do and to scratch things off that you've done. And that's really the primary job. It's like, you know, there's always things to do and there's always things that you have done. And that was probably what I had the most difficulty with. I would have so much difficulty with logistically pulling together the task-oriented part of my job. Mm -hmm. And it was project-based. And I don't know if you have some of these, but I have, there. there's a list of words. There are words that I hear that still to this day kind of send shivers up my spine. You know, there are words that I hear that are trigger words for me. Lazy is my top one. What's yours? (laughs) Well, you know, project is one for me. Okay. When I would hear somebody say project, um, I would automatically, and it goes back to school. It would go back to if I had a project to do at school, it was this bulk of work that meant pulling together from different resources 
So research is another one of those words for me. Writing is one for me. All out of me, right? Writing, writing for you. Yeah, you know, I mean, writing. I like to research. It's the writing that I that I don't like. You and I would make a great team because I I love to write, but I hate the research. So there there are these things that are very important in marketing that that have to be done. Uh, I've always been a gut marketer. I've always marketed from instinct. Um, I've grown. I never thought about that, but I think I probably do a lot of that as well. Yeah, and I think a lot of people with ADHD would. I would be very intimidated walking into a meeting into a boardroom. Oh, and I have a story I have to tell you in a second. Okay. Uh, but I would be very intimidated walking into a boardroom and having somebody come in who was also involved in marketing, but their approach was very solid research-based and they would quote statistics and they would quote studies and they would quote, I couldn't do that. Yeah. I could never do that. So I shot from the gut much more. I was like, it was instinctive to me. I could back up any claims that I made. I could, I could, you know, I, I would never have said this at one point, but I don't mind saying it now because I've become more comfortable with, again, accepting those things that I was good at. I could turn a room. Yeah. I relished in, rather than walk into a room where you're trying to sell a concept and wanting everybody in the room to say, that's a great concept. We're going to adopt that. That's fantastic. I would relish the opportunity to have someone disagree with it. That's what lit me up. I love that too. Oh, I absolutely that lit love me up. It's like, Here's my chance. Here's where I step in. Yes. You know? Oh, I absolutely love that. So I, I became pretty good at that. And that requires you to think on your feet. It requires you to, to be innovative. It requires you to make intuitive leaps. It requires you to, to read the room and read people. All skills that generally tend to accompany individuals with ADHD. Mm-hmm. I didn't it's recognize right, I, them at the time. My freshman year of, uh, of college, my, my disaster year of college, my, my, my uh, <laughs> Eric 1.0 year, um, <laughs> and that was about my, my GPA as well, um, I, I was a I was a communications advertising major, and I love the creative part of it. Um, but I realized how much detail is involved in copy like writing and editing. And I'm like, oh, I suck at this. Yeah, like I did the only class I actually did well on, at, and, and my comma major was was uh, speech. Um, but I typically like would just wing it. Yeah, and I did yeah. I did well at it, and I and I right. would just wing it because I right. could think on my feet. You know, it's. But um, yeah, so uh, I, that's when I switched my major because I was like, oh, but I've always had this. And I think this is why I do a lot of stuff on, on social media now and, and you know, marketing, because you know, I think marketing sometimes has a as a um, admit there's a misconception about what marketing is, you know, from to me and in, 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 uh, to my perspective, marketing is sharing a valuable idea. So it's mm-hmm. understood to those that you want to to understand it. Uh, to me, that's marketing. Sure. You want me to respond to that? Is that uh, sure? That's how okay. usually conversation works best. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I didn't. I wasn't quite sure you were finished. Yeah, I mean, and, and and I think I think that ability and that there are elements of ADHD that work so well in the marketing world because empathy is a huge element of marketing. You have to get inside someone else's head. Yeah, yeah. You have to know what they're thinking. You have to know exactly how they're feeling. You have to be able to read, you know, how they're likely to interpret something. And I've never been a big believer in numbers. Like you can show me all the numbers, but for every number that you show me, I'm going to pull a Nardone now, right? For every number. (laughs) Oh, yeah, Tom Nardone's like, he, he just got so excited. 
Yeah, probably. Yeah. I'm just like he's rewinding. He's like he's he's shouting. <laughs> he's probably like has an earbud in at in his ear at Home Depot, and he just like yelled, and now he's getting funny looks. Yes, time we're talking about you. But You're welcome. That's the thing. I mean, the numbers because the numbers can always be disputed, and the numbers can always be. I, I never trust them entirely. Um, I probably trust him a little more than Tom does, but I, I never I trust Brett, you're actually not helping my case here with trying to, to, you know, uh, bring, bring Tom to the, to the force, to the, the, the I just light think side they of need data. To be, I think they need to be interpreted and I think they need to be infused with humanity. Yeah. Let's put it that way. Well, it's like what Brene Brown says that, that stories her data with a soul. And I love that. Yeah. Yeah, I absolutely. That. I love that as well. I love that as well. So, yeah. So I think all of that is very, very important in marketing. So Brett 1.0 wasn't, uh, you know, a bad place to be. I had a pretty good life, but I was always, there was always something. There was always this piece of me that didn't feel quite like I fit in. And this was the story I, m- I mentioned a while ago that I was going to tell. I was told once that I sucked the air out of a room, that I had the ability to suck the oxygen out of a room. Now, it takes a while before you're comfortable wearing that, right? So where it came from, and, and I had this experience so many times, and I, I often will relay this experience to my clients, and it's funny because lights will go on in their eyes, and they'll go, I, that's happened to me so many times. So maybe you'll have the same reaction. You're in a room, there are a half dozen people in the room, and you, you know, you're discussing an, an idea, a concept, whatever, and a light bulb goes off in your head, and you say something, and the entire room goes silent. You've just sucked all the oxygen out of the room. There's not a sound and everyone kind of looks at you and you sink into your chair and you go, "Uh oh, what the hell? I've got this completely wrong. And the meeting goes on and, you know, da, da, da. The whole time you're ruminating, of course, you right. have this major rumination going on in your head. You, 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 you no longer pay attention. Never mind the ADHD. You're now in an out of body experience. You know, a week later, the same group gets back together. And you're discussing the same topic and a lot of work has been done now, you know, in between and along the way and that sort of thing. And somebody in the room says essentially the same thing that you said a week ago. They may say it in a slightly different way. They may position it in a slightly different way, but it's essentially the same idea, the same thing that you said a week ago. And the entire room goes, yes, that's it. That's exactly what we need to do. And I would sit there literally like tapping my hand almost in my head going, hello, hello, is this thing on? Hello, didn't I say that a week ago? It's that, and I think, you know, it's, it's that ability to make those intuitive leaps that can, I've come to accept, I guess, since. And this is not, a, this is not about being arrogant. It's just, it's a skill that some people have that others don't. God knows that there were people around that table who could do things imminently better than I was capable of doing. But that was something that I could do is make these intuitive leaps. And I started to realize that they just hadn't arrived there yet. It took them the week to get there mm-hmm. to where I was because they needed A, B, C, and D. And I went A, D, F, H. Yep. Right. So here's what I'm, uh, you know, I'm thinking and wondering about um, is because I've certainly had that, that experience, especially when I like suggest something. It seems that like people, I get the blank stares and people don't know what the hell I'm talking about. Right. And then like something then then, you know, at a later point, someone will bring up that same idea, just as you said. So what I'm curious is, do you, because I actually take pleasure in that um, and take pleasure in the fact that like I, I 
don't feel like I, that I need to say that's what I was saying, like and, and like wanting the credit for it. Like I actually sort of, I sort of feel like I'm this like spy and that I implanted this idea and now the group has accepted it. Like, how do you feel about it? I don't know if I was always that way, because um, I, I think I'm more about like idea generation versus like give me the credit for the idea. Yeah. How do you feel I, about that? Well, I think I would never say. You know, there was at at no point in my life would I have said that's what I said a week ago. But I've only, I guess, gotten to that point that you're you're referring to very recently, where I was able to kind of internalize that and say, okay, I'll get my juice from the fact that I thought of that a week ago. I don't need that external juice from the credit that comes with it and stuff. I don't need that anymore. And that's, mm-hmm. you know, but at the time, I think I was insecure enough that I, I, it would have been nice to have that. So I think that's I've evolved a little bit in that regard, and I. I have this thing that I call the fringe theory, you know, fringe theory. Okay. What's what's the fringe theory? The fringe theory is that it doesn't matter if you're with a group of people and you, and I'm not saying that this was always the case, believe me, but it doesn't matter if you're with a group of people and you're not on the same page because you don't get something that everybody else gets. Or if you're not on the same page because you get something that nobody else gets, the feeling of isolation and loneliness on both edges of that spectrum both the fringes feels exactly the same. If you feel just as isolated. So I think you can get to a place like you're referring to where you can kind of take that as a, a bit of an empowerment and you can say, I know that I had that idea we could go. So I, I can kind of, I don't need any acknowledgement of that, but that feeling of isolation that it can cause when you're in a place, maybe where you're not quite as secure, you don't know yourself as well. You're not as accepting of who you are you're not willing to accept those things that you don't do well because you're not willing to accept those things that you do do well. I think that's tougher. I think, I think that's a lot more difficult to, to be able to kind of reconcile it in the way that you're talking about there. Do you find um, that, that, you know, we, we, I think it's a we can pretty much agree that people with ADHD are kind of idea people that we often yeah. have big ideas and, and the idea of just making small incremental changes is, is um, just doesn't excite us um and you know so we have these big ideas and we it can feel very frustrating and i think for people with adhd even more so when someone doesn't either either accept our idea or understand our idea um and i'm the same way i I, there's certain things i want to see big change in and things i'm trying to help uh create big change in but i know that if i just shout the loudest and you know be adamant about these changes like that doesn't help what I have found, and this is through a lot of my, the, the um, like when I really want to do something that's I know is important, I do a lot of research and learn as much as I can. So I've been, you know, doing a lot of research and, and learning and just leadership. And, and, uh, and as a social worker, we talk a lot about change theory. And um, so one of the things that, that I have found that help with changing kind of organizational leadership is by having individual conversations before, before presenting an idea to a group. Um, so then I already kind of know where some people stand in a conversation, um, just as a way to kind of, uh, you know, I'm planting some seeds and then when they all kind of, you know, and, and when I bring that out to a group, I know that at least this is not like a, you know, I'm not going to hear crickets. Um, mm-hmm. so even if I think there'll be some dissents, I know that there are going to be others who, who back me up. Um, uh, so to move the conversation forward, cause you know, I'm, I'm okay if you disagree with me, um, just have a good reason. Yeah. And, yeah. and you know, that, go ahead. That, that also gives you, uh, you know, it also provides you with, with certainty. And 
as people with ADHD, I think we like certainty. You know, tell me I'm going to be wrong. Tell me I'm going to be right. But I, I'm not a big fan of ambiguity. I don't like living in the gray. And most of life is led. Most is of gray. life is absolutely in the you gray. Know? So it's difficult. It can be really challenging to have to try to live in the gray when you're looking for absolutes. And in those cases where I would have those cricket moments, then my thoughts were absolute. I was absolutely wrong because I would never, I would never be arrogant enough to think that I was absolutely right. Even though, you know, the fringe theory states that the feeling's the same on both sides. Yeah. It would never occur to me that that could be a possibility. Um, you know, and I think that's kind of human nature, especially, uh, you know, especially if, if it came easy to you because you don't value it. So you go, well, it must be wrong. Clearly it must be wrong. So if, if the fringe theory is that it feels the same on, on both sides, but if that's more of a negative thing, we have to come up with a, another term for the quality of the conversation is good on both sides of the break. Cause we're going to take a quick break right now and that's we'll good. be right back. And we're going to come back and talk about that downward arrow exercise that I uh, mentioned earlier. And the only reason I remember that is because I wrote it down. We'll be right back. This podcast is brought to you by ADHD rewired coaching and accountability group. Next session begins in early May. Go to coaching rewired.com and prepare to get your ADHD rewired. Go to audibletrial.com slash ADHD rewired for your free audiobook download. And we are back with Brett Thornhill. We're talking about Brett 2.0, fringe theory, leadership. Um, and we're going to talk about the downward arrow uh, kind of exercise. So you, we were talking at the uh, beginning of the conversation today about the um, the what ifs and the when people say, oh, I can't do that. And I want—I really wanted to come back to that because I think there's a lot of value for for all the listeners in exploring that. Mm-hmm. Um, so you were saying when you're talking to someone that says, "I can't do that. I can't leave the job uh, because," and they say they can't because it's the car, the wife, the kids, the you know all the other reasons why we say we can't do it. And you were setting it up, saying that, well, you know, so if you got rid of the car, if you sell the house, like all these things that might be uncomfortable, but you can do it. Yeah. So I like to take this. It's a very similar idea. And it's, it's um, called the downward arrow exercise where you're, where you're worrying about something. You know, it's like, well, I can't leave a job. Like, I, I won't be able to, to, you know, pay the mortgage. Okay. So let's, let's assume the worries are true. Okay. And let's, let's actually um, explore it from a logical, not emotional point. Okay. So let's okay. say you, you lose the job. What does that mean? So I might lose my income. Okay. What does that mean? I might not be able to, you know, make, pay the mortgage. Okay. What does that mean? Mm-hmm. Then I might lose my house. Okay. What does that mean? Then I'll be homeless. Okay. What does that mean? And is that real? Is that 
realistic? You, is there any other, uh, do you have savings? You know, so we kind of look in the, these things. And one of the things we find when we kind of take the exercise, one, when we start to repeat the same thing, when we go as, as far down as possible, yeah. we find the core of what our fear is. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. The, the other is while a lot of these things are unpleasant at the end of the day, if we had to, we can deal with the unpleasant because most of these things are, you know, well, life is temporary, but most of these things are temporary, yeah. you know? So well, if we look at the, you know, the, the, oh, I might not be able to pay the mortgage. If we really explore what that means, well, maybe you have uh, savings, maybe you have a, um, you know, other sources of, of money that could, where people can help you out for a short period of time. Maybe yeah. that means it'll be hard for a short period of time. Um, yeah, hard. Okay, we can do hard. Like, right. Like, we, I don't like to do death. So it's like anything other than like death and like severe agony and pain. Absolutely. You know, it's like most things aren't that though. Right. And so you're left with then some sort of a, a choice. May not be an easy choice, maybe mm-hmm. a very difficult choice. But, you know, it, everybody, you know, we tend to come up with these reasons why we can't do something. And can't is a very absolute statement. Yep. It's the finality of can't, can't be argued. And it's a lie. Right. So, you know right, I mean? because there, there are very, very few absolute truths in the world. I mean, you know, my neighbor has four golden retrievers. Well, that's a fact. You know, if I look out the window, I see them. Right. But for the most part, for most of the things that matter in life, there are very few absolute truths. So when you start to dig in and you start to explore these things, and you start to find evidence. Sometimes I'll, I'll, you know, we'll explore those kind of scenarios. Okay, so what's the worst thing that could possibly happen? Okay, let's say that that happens. Now, let's, let's find the evidence for it, first of all. Yep. Let's explore the evidence. What's the evidence that that's going to happen? And what's the evidence that the good thing could happen? You know? And when you start exploring the evidence, you will often find that you can find equal evidence for both of those scenarios. So then you're left with a choice. Which one are you going to pick up? Which one are you going to leave on the ground? Which choice are you going to make here? Which, what's going to be your story that you're going to tell? And yeah, they're going to come with accompanying changes and accompanying, uh, you know, uh, alterations to your life maybe and that sort of thing. But then how miserable are you? What's it worth to you? It's, we had to make adjustments when I went back to school. I gave, I'm, I'm 49 years old with two teenage kids and, and you know, and a mortgage and, and it, it wasn't a piece of cake. And I'm mm-hmm. not saying, don't get me wrong. I mean, uh, it was, yeah, it's not. I don't want a, any extreme credit for it or anything like that. I did it for me. It was kind of selfish, you know, really. I did it because I couldn't bear to not do it. But, you know, I had to make some changes. It didn't happen on its own. Well, I also think that there's a, I think we misuse the word selfish. You know, selfish, I think, really sh- should mean taking care of self. Self-centered, which is what I think often people mistake as selfish, Self-centered is doing just for yourself and screw everybody else. Because when you take care of yourself, then you can take care of those who matter most in your life. You know, it's the reason when you're on an airplane, they say, you know, take the oxygen first. And then if you have a kid, then give them the oxygen. Because if you give your kid the oxygen first, you're going to give them, you know, one breath of oxygen and then you're going to be dead. And then your kid can't get any more oxygen. Yeah. Yeah. I I agree completely. And and I actually, I've, I've kind of, boiled that down and, and reduce that to, you know, again, I, I kind of, I draw this line between 1.0, 2.0, whatever. I don't want to overuse it, but there was a time when I was really overly concerned about being 
self-centered. And self-centered was completely taboo. Everything I did, I was afraid of arrogance, narcissism. I was afraid of being self-centered. And then I realized that it was okay to be a centered self, which is very different than being self-centered. I like that. Being a centered self means just that. It means putting the oxygen mask on first. It means taking care of yourself so that you can take care of others. It means being able to recognize those things that you're good at. It means being able to recognize those things that come naturally to you so that you can be the best you that you can possibly be. I drop my kids off at school every morning with one refrain. They get out of the car and I go, be the best you you can be. And that's all I want you to be. And how old are your kids? uh, 17 and 13. And believe me, if I, if I forget to say it some morning, they wait for it. They wait. Really? That's, awesome. that's awesome. That's I, I, I thought at one point that it was kind of just going, oh, okay, they're not even hearing this anymore. And then I forgot to say it one morning to my 17 year old daughter and she stops and she's waiting and she's looking at me like dad. And it dawned on me, I'll be the best you can be, hun. You know, that's so, awesome. and the, so they haven't rolled their eyes yet. And they really, I have to, Phenomenal kids, one of whom, 17, my daughter, is, is, um, has ADHD as well. She was diagnosed after me, so we flipped the convention. Yeah, that's, that's interesting. Yeah, we did it the other way around. And it's been wild to watch her become so accepting. I mean, ADHD is part of our house. It's what I do for a living. Mm-hmm. It's talked about. It's, there are no hushed tones in yeah. my house about ADHD, you know? Yeah. I mean, I, if you listen to the podcast regularly, you've heard every once in a while, my son will... Uh, make a cameo and he's four, um, you know, on the podcast. So he, he knows ADHD. I mean, he doesn't necessarily fully grasp uh, what it is. Sure. Um, although um, a couple, a couple of weeks ago, um, he, he tells me, I need to go to the bathroom. And I'm like, all right, do, do you want me to help you? Or ask him if you need help. And he said to me, no, daddy, you distract me. <laughs> <laughs> That's I, I, my, my wife and I just look at each other and I'm like, like know what that actually me like it was just it was funny yeah, so. it probably does it's osmosis sure it does. yeah eventually it comes and that's what's happened with ali i mean she's my daughter she's she's become very accepting of her adhd being a difference and not a disability mm-hmm. and it's happened very organically it's happened very kind of uh and she's become quite an advocate as well you know again good for, for her and that's the part i'm sure it speaks volumes of what you've uh you know done with her as as uh as her dad well, she's a remarkable young woman, so it's uh, it's she's she's easy to be proud of. There's no doubt about it. That's awesome. That's awesome. Yeah. That's, that's yeah. got to feel really good. But I, I think I think you're right. I think you know that downward arrow, however you want to phrase it, I think um, is is vitally important to be able to break down those barriers and to be able to get to get through the can't to find the won't. Mm-hmm. You know, um, right, there's a difference between I can't yet versus the. I, I don't want to, I'm not yeah. going to do like, so, and that's okay. Right. You could say, I'm not going to like, I can, but I don't want to, I don't want to learn that. I like make the decision, but know, know what the trade-off is. Right. And that's perfectly okay. I, I don't hold up any sort of a, a, you know, a golden chalice and say, look, this is what you have to go for. And it means self-sacrifice. And it means always, you know, never saying I can't, or I won't, or I, there are things you don't want to do in your life. That's Okay. You don't want to sell the second car, don't sell the second car. You don't want to extend your mortgage, don't extend your mortgage. But don't sit there and say, I can't. You're then making a conscious choice. I'm okay with that. You're okay with that. And so you should be. There's no judgment whatsoever. But we kind of hide behind that can't sometimes without fully exploring it. 
or even like realizing that we're doing it. Yeah. I, yeah. I think for me in the last like two years, I really recognized that my belief around my sleep hygiene, I was telling myself, like, I, I just can't go to bed on time. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, so I'm really, I've really been working on that and, and really looking at it as this is one of my kind of behavioral Everests. You know, it's like getting myself to, to so, but I'm still climbing and I'm climbing and I slip, but I get back up and I keep climbing because I just, man, I just know how good I feel even just after a few like nights in a row of like really good sleep or I went to bed early, like I wasn't on my electronics, you know, it's like, I, you know, it's one of those like quintessential ADHD things. I know what to do. I'm not doing it. You know, I tell Mm -hmm. my clients, don't look at your screens before bed. Don't do what I do. (laughs) You know, it's, yeah, that's kind of striking a chord uh, with me (laughs) in a big way. That's one of those, I, I, if I break it down to the, you know, the can't versus the won't, I won't go to bed without my life. It's not that I can't, it's not that I, <laughs> so I have to accept that, you know, that that's, that's part of who I am. That's part of, and it's something I need to work on as well. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I, I think when you, when you get to that place, that kind of honest place and, and I don't want anyone to misunderstand. I mean, you know, I, I talk about bread 2.0 as though it's a destination. It's not, it's like, it's, it's a stopping point. It's not even a stopping point. It's like a, it's, it's just, it's this long highway. Yeah. And that's eventually going to lead to, I don't know, maybe Brett 3.0. I don't know. I mean, uh, it's who funny knows? that you say that too. Cause uh, you know, I, um, about a year and a half ago, I had a presentation that I did called productivity 2.0. Um, uh-huh. And it was really, it was kind of revising some of my theories on productivity. Um, and, uh, and you know, this year I've been doing this uh, newer presentation uh, high tech, low tech solutions to supercharge right. your productivity, and really that's productivity 3.0. Because one, it's it's one I'm including the the low tech stuff, but two, I'm also looking at it's not just about the actual st- strategies and and tools that we use, but so much of it is about mindset and acceptance yeah. and courage and vulnerability and uh, acknowledging shame. You know, and that's you know it's like people want to be more productive, and it's like well let's talk about shame. I know it's fun right um but it's like if you really want to like be as you said you know be, be the best you can be today it's like let's talk about the things that make us feel crappy let's Absolutely. talk about the shame that in the stories we tell ourselves because when, when we can acknowledge that and take some of the the weight out of that shame that's holding us down man, it's going to free us up to do so much more that we're capable of and so much more that we want to do um, and that's where we're going to kind of close that gap between our intentions and our actions. And when Absolutely. we close that gap, we feel good. Yeah. And it's not about wallowing in it. It's not, you know, you, you talk about it, you acknowledge it, you look at it, you call it what it is, you hold it in your hand, you throw it on the ground, you do whatever it is you need to do with it. You don't wallow in it. You, you, you use it as a stepping stone to move forward. I love the idea of taking it out, looking at it, and then stepping on it to get to where you need to get to. You know, yeah. Um, you know, I think that's a great visual because it 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 allows you to empower yourself and not give the power away. So you're you know disempowering the shame and you're taking that power. You're sucking that energy out of that and you're sucking it back into yourself. I think that's I think it's wonderful. And I don't think we make progress without seeing our flaws, without admitting our flaws, without acknowledging our flaws, and understanding that we're not going to be able to fix them all overnight. Good. God, I've got so much more work to do. <laughs> I so I was going to say I have so <laughs> so much more work to do. I mean, oh my I, I could still like, I mean, it, it just some in. But to me, that's exciting 
but from a from a kind of prioritization standpoint you have to really understand that you can only do so much at a time and you really should only do so much at a time you know it's the idea of less is more you know so you focus on like one or two areas of your life that you really want to make progress in work on those and you'll see results and then find two more areas and it's about progress, not perfection. That's the other thing is, is you know, celebrate the little, uh, you know, I used an analogy with a client a, a few days ago um, of a balloon, you know, and, and how you're looking at a flat balloon on a table and how do you, how do you start to blow that balloon up? You, you see, you have this vision of this balloon that's going to be three feet wide. It starts with a single breath and you put one breath into a balloon that large, you're not even going to be able to see it. But without that one breath, that balloon will never get filled. You know, so you got to take that first breath. And oftentimes, like with any balloon, that first breath is the toughest it's one. It's the right? hardest, right? It's the hardest one. And they get easier the more later on, you, you, you know, you, you blow that breath in and it's, it's much, much easier. It's much, much easier. So, yeah, I'm, I'm a big believer in building on small victories, on celebrating small victories, um, on building your bridges, you know, one step at a time. I, I have a, I don't know if we have time to go into it or not, but I have this kind of bricks and mortar analogy. I like, an, I I like analogies. Let's do it. Um, you know, you, you want to build a structure. I mean, you, I don't like to think of it as a wall because a wall is obtrusive, but you want to build a structure and the structure is your life. And the structure is going to be in the hand and he let's talk about the, the wall of awful. Then he climb over the wall, but, but go ahead with your bricks and mortar. Oh, really? Okay. All right. So you, you, your wall is, or your, your structure, your life is going to be built of bricks and mortar. And if your bricks are all of the outside kind of acknowledgement that you get and all of the pats on the back that you get and all of the stuff that you, you're empowered from the outside in, mm-hmm. then that's great. And I don't discount that because without the bricks, that structure is not going to get very high. The mortar is the stuff you get from the inside. The mortar is the juice that you bring to the table. And you can stack a pretty tall structure. You can build that wall pretty damn high, just brick upon brick upon brick upon brick. And there's no mortar in between the bricks. It takes very little to come over. The higher you build that, as a matter of fact, the easier it's going to be to knock over. One little push, that puppy's going. I'm just thinking about a giant game of Jenga with bricks. That's, that's, just what, <laughs> that's what was, I was imagining. <laughs> but when you put the mortar between the bricks, so if you, if you put on a layer of bricks, Okay, which comes from maybe outside acknowledgement because I don't discount that. It's important. We all like to get that. Oh, we I, all, love it. nice. I love it. Like, you know? I love I, I have no problem admitting that too, that compliments and acknowledgement. And like, support. It makes me feel good. Like, yeah. When I get emails from listeners that like thank me for an episode or like tell me how much it's helping me, like I honestly, I could be happy getting those kinds of messages all day long. They, those and fill my bucket. That's great. Exactly. And those are the bricks. But if there's nothing, if you, if you don't have any mortar to put the, between the bricks, so if, if that doesn't inspire you, let's say, to do something, if that just makes you sit and wallow in the, in the glow of, in the, and to bask in the glow of the admiration, then you're building brick upon brick upon brick. Okay. So you yeah. use the mortar is the stuff that needs to go in between the bricks that helps you then improve the next layer, make it stronger. So what so fills my bucket in this analogy every time that someone gives me that, sends me that email, shares something that I've, you know, whether it's a client, they share with me how much it helps me, that emotion turns into mortar. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I like that. And that's the stuff that you need to solidify all of the bricks that you're building. Because if you build it up with mortar and bricks, 
it doesn't matter how big you build that thing, you're not going to be able to knock it down. Nor it's going to be much stronger. With it. Exactly. It's going to be much, <laughs> much stronger. <laughs> so Sometimes I, I just, the, the random things that pop into my head, I just have to share them. <laughs> <laughs> so that's bricks, that's bricks and mortar. And, and uh, all too often, what we end up doing is we layered a lot of bricks on top of each other, and we only use the mortar when we need to go back and make a repair. And, um, Which is needed sometimes. Which is needed sometimes, but if that's the only time you ever try to put mortar between two bricks that are already placed together, it's nope. not easy. It's not easy. No. So, you know, it's not always easy to go back and, and find that stuff and to get that internal juice, that stuff that has to come from you. Um, and I think that's where the strength comes from. So, but if you just throw a pile of mortar on the floor, well, then you're not going to build a structure very high with that either, right? So they're equally important. Mm-hmm. You know, they're, they're not mutually exclusive. They rely on each other in order to build a strong structure and a strong life. All right, so I'm going to ask you about something that you may or may not have been ready for me to ask you about. Okay. Um, I'm nervous now. Right. Um, you guys can see the actual horror on his face right now. He's like, oh, my God, what is he going to ask me? So <laughs> maybe um, you have noticed, listeners have, have uh, you've noticed, that Brett sounds really good. I really think that Brett sounds good. because He's on a pretty nice microphone. I'm wondering, is there a reason, Brett, that you have a really nice microphone? And thank you for having this nice microphone. There is. I've geared up a little bit in the past. Well, I mean, I, I, I had a little gear from, you know, left over from the, the music and, and that sort of thing. But uh, what Eric is getting at is that I am hoping very soon to launch my own podcast and uh, to launch a podcast that is going to be called ADHD Embra- uh, Understanding, Accepting, and Embracing. Okay. And, and so, first of all, Awesome. I'm always excited to have another ADHD podcaster in the podcasting space. Um, all right. So uh, you want a little bit of uh, accountability here? Do I want accountability? Oh, you're scaring do me now. Because do, I, do you want to put a launch date out there? Here's what I've learned. Here's what I've learned since I started this. Yeah. Uh, podcasts are a lot of work. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it is true. They're an incredible amount of work. So I'm working right now on on getting some at, uh, some episodes in the can, so to speak. Mm-hmm. And uh, when I get a sufficient number that I think can give me a buffer, <laughs> can allow me to, uh, to confidently, you know, be able to, to get a number of episodes up, then I'm going to launch. I'm not ready to put a date on it yet. Uh, I would have, had you asked me this question a month and a half ago, I would have gladly put a date on it because I had no appreciation for how much work goes into this. So how, do you, do you have a couple of episodes in the can right now? I do. I have three in the can right now. Okay. Um, how many do you want to have in the can? Eight to 10. Why? Um, because a very wise podcaster once told me, Eric, that it is advisable to get past that seven or eight mark in order to achieve longevity in this world of podcasting. It's true. Now, that being said, when I launched ADHD Rewired, I had four episodes recorded. Mm-hmm. I launched three on the first day. Oh, wow. You were, you're a daredevil. I was, I was going sort of episode to episode for a while. I would get a couple ahead and then I would, you know, oh, I'm good for a while. And then I realized, oh, no, I don't have another episode. And then I'd have to call Tom Nardone and say, I have to release an episode tomorrow. I don't have anyone want to, want to be in the show. And he was he always obliged to that. Um, yeah. So you know what? A lot of people who are in the podcasting space uh, w- you know, do suggest getting that many episodes ahead. Allow yourself to build the process as you go. Yeah. And 
you know, I, I don't want to say anything badly about those of us with ADHD, but I don't know if anyone expects an ADHD podcast to actually go the long haul. Uh, you know, it's <laughs> <laughs> that's a good point. You know or what to I mean? Be on time. So, so just or, launch. Or to, yeah. Brett, just yeah. launch, man. Cause I think once you have it out there, that's what really helped me is just launching. Yeah. Right. Yeah. If I waited to launch before my, my podcast was quote unquote perfect, I would probably still have never launched. I mean, my, if you go back and listen to my first 10 episodes, um, and I was listening to one recently, uh, a, 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 I think it was like episode five or six. To me, it was a little cringeworthy. You know? I fully anticipate these are going to, I fully expect and anticipate the first number of them to suck. I'm ready for that. I, I absolutely am ready for that. Suck and launch, man. Just, just do yeah. it and, and improve. <laughs> You know, but it's not. It, it's less about. Um, it's less about worrying worrying about that so much. My practice is also rel- my coaching practice is also relatively new, and um, I have to maintain focus on that. So it's a matter of, of juggling. And and again, you know, part of being a centered self is knowing, hoping to know what my capabilities are, and to not overstretch myself. So that's part of it as well. Is just I want to be comfortable enough to have enough in the can so that I've got a buffer. And I can, um, there's an expression we use here. It's going to mean nothing to you, but it's like, you know, what happens if the queer thing happens, right? Like the queer thing is that thing that you just don't know is going to pop up. That's going to come up. If the what thing happens? The queer thing happens. The queer, like Q-U-E-E-R? Yeah. Yeah. The queer thing happens. So that's the odd thing. The the out of the ordinary thing, the thing that comes out of left field that you're not expecting, the thing that's going to throw off your schedule, the thing that's going to lay all your best laid plans by the wayside. I'm not sure how I feel about this expression. I it's not. Please do not write, Eric. It's not meant to be any sort of a slur. I'm I'm going to challenge it. And just here's my thought. Okay, so. okay, when I uh, and then I totally get like it's a cultural thing. I I totally get that. So I went to school in central Illinois at the college at Bradley University, um, which is kind of the armpit of, of the universe. Um, and um, for some people, I was the first Jew that they ever met. And I was uh, I was in a conversation with uh, with some, some friends that were townies uh, in Peoria. And they um, the the ter- the phrase came up and don't Jew him. I was like, wait. What did you just say? Yeah. And then I kind of called them out on it. And when I did, like, oh, my God, like, I never even, re- that person said, like, I never even realized, like, what that actually meant. Like, we I've just always used that phrase. And so I just wonder, is that sort of one of those things? The uh, Where it's like, it's been used, but no one's ever, like, challenged, like, the origin of that expression. And it's, I don't know. No, it's It goes back to, it's, I, I live in the oldest city in North America, actually. Okay. And so it's a cultural thing that goes back to when that word did not mean what it means right okay. now. Okay. Okay. I'm, I'm very, my daughter is actually the, uh, the president of the LGB, L, LGTBQ. They keep, make, you know, they keep mixing up the letters for equality. Do. I do, like, I totally, and I, which I get the theory, but it really gets confusing as you just heard. It does, and I, <laughs> I, I, I tell my daughter to just cut me some slack, just like Dad's trying to keep up, hun. So just cut me some slack. But she, <laughs> but she is the president of that association in her school, so I'm very aware, very conscious of, and very, um, yeah, very. Uh, very aware of, of where that might go. So you might want to go back and edit that whole piece out. 
<laughs> you know, I would be actually really curious about what other people think about that. Uh, you know, so comment about it in the, the community, uh, in the Facebook community. Just, you know, I think it's an interesting discussion piece. Um, you know, it's, it's if is there because it's this like small regional expression that has a different meaning. It just it's really it's really just intriguing to me. It just makes me I get curious mm. about those kinds of things. Yeah, sure, sure. No, that's that's and that's that's fine. Absolutely. I think this is the point right. of the podcast where we go, go go down the rabbit holes, and it's I'm okay with that. But uh, <laughs> we are at the about the hour or so mark here. Um, so what I want to do is one uh, I'm I'm rooting for you one to launch the podcast. Just thank launch. you. I'm I'm yeah. rooting for me too. I really hope it happens. I I I I think it'll be an enjoyable process, and I'm looking forward to it. I really am. And uh, if. If you launch around the time that this episode comes out, and if I were looking at my calendar, I could tell you that. Because um, I'm actually, I'm, I'm sort of being able to, to do that now, where I can tell when an episode is coming out. But that requires me to have my calendar open, which I do not. And um, so it's, I think you're going to be like episode 105. And right now, um, let's see what today's Friday, the recording date of this is Friday, January 8th. So uh, episode 97 was out this week. So congratulations. Yeah. We, we You're going to hit 100 soon. Hitting 100. Soon. It's so weird because it's already been recorded, but it hasn't been released. Like it's that, that whole like time continuum as a podcaster. Yeah. Like it just messes with my head every time it comes up. Did you have a little party? Did you do something special for episode 100? Yeah, we had uh, we had two recording sessions. And um, so you'll so um, go back and listen to it. So it's so weird. I have to like think about when someone when I'm talking to you now. Yeah. When is someone going to be listening to this? So I have to talk to you with both. It's like this. I have to talk in two time zones, sort of. Right. It so hurts my brain, Brett. <laughs> this, is how, this is how the guys from Sons of Anarchy feel when they go on a Tonight Show when the series finale is about to air and they shot it like seven months ago. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> and and they're like, I don't remember how I was feeling that day. I've gotten over it. <laughs> <laughs> Wow. Yeah, it is. And it's like, that's part of it. And it feels sort of unauthentic in a lot of ways because it's, you know, um, but so if you haven't listened to it, what we did was uh, we had a dozen or so people in two different recordings uh, um, come on and uh, we had about 10 minutes or so each. So it was, it, you know, it was a lot of fun. It was a lot of fun. Um, I was actually a few days also into my, uh, my uh, fractured rib or whatever I have going on. So that was the only kind of a wrinkle in the hundredth episode. Is I was kind of how much does it hurt to laugh when you oh, have a fractured lip? It was sucked. Like and oh. towards the end, like I, uh, um, we invited like people to come in as kind of a as a group, um, and it got fun. And I had to I had to end it. I was like, all right, I, I gave the room over to Tamar there. I'm, like, <laughs> I'm having it, too much fun. <laughs> it was. I'm like, damn it. Like I I, I was laughing too much. I'm like, I can't do this. Uh, it sucked. <laughs> <laughs> um so yeah so that's hopefully by the time this airs i'm gonna be like back in my workout routine i mean that's that's one of the biggest challenges for me is i'm out of my workout routine at, right now because i i can't do it yeah and we love we oh us ADHDers, I man. Need we my workout. Yeah. i need my, my workout routine because it's besides for medication it's probably one of the most important parts of the way i manage my adhd um so yeah i i can't wait to get back on my bike and as much as we hate the word routine as an adjective, we love it as a noun. <laughs> Interesting. I never thought about it that way. That's that's cool. I like that. Um, yeah. No, but I think routine and Brett, routine is the secret sauce. It is. You know, we we got to renegotiate our relationship with the whole idea 
because, you know, if as much as we can get out of our prefrontal cortex, the better we're going to be in all areas of life. And routine is the part of it's our behavioral repertoire that we don't really have to think about that. We just kind of do. Yeah. The more habits you can build, the more, more you can kind of take that conscious choice out of your life and kind of make things habitual and, and allow things to happen without having to think about them. I think the better off you are. So one thing that's, that that's where that, a lot of the strategies that I, that I use are built around. Yeah. Really. Oh, and that's, that's so, so critical. But right, the one thing that I have to be very conscious of, and I haven't gotten the, uh, I guess in the habit of is wrapping this episode up. And, uh, <laughs> cause sometimes it just goes on this like, you know, really long. Yeah. I, I am, I, I can do the segue pretty well. Cause I'm a connector, you know, I could see how things connect and then bring it together. Right. And so let's wrap this up here, Brett. Tell people, first of all, thank you for coming on the show. I hope your back feels better. Um, thank you so much. And thanks for having me. This was, a, this was great. I really enjoyed this conversation, Eric. Yeah, I mean, this was, this was fun. I think there's a lot of value out of, out of this. Tell people where they can reach you and, uh, and all the show, you know, in the show notes for this episode on, the, on my website, ADHDrewired.com, you can find all the links to everything, find out how to get to Brett. So if you are listening in the car or you're working out, and if you're still working out, and you started this episode while working out. Nice job. You, you got some Ooh. good endurance going. Um, but the, the links will be in the show notes, both on the website. If you're still and awake and you started this episode awake. <laughs> congratulations. You're doing really well. You made it through. That means you are a super fan. Uh, so Brett, where can people reach you? Okay. So my website is uh, embrace your ADHD.ca.ca because I am a Canuck, remember. So it's .ca, not .com. Uh, I can be found on Facebook, um, very active on Facebook, uh, probably one of my most active platforms and just do a search for, uh, Brett Thornhill ADHD coaching in Facebook and you'll find me and on Twitter at embrace your ADHD. Awesome. And that's Brett with two T's. No N. You got it. (laughs) No N. No. Yes. Did we talk about that before we hit record? I don't even remember. Um, but you told me that people refer to as Brent. There's no end. I get it all the time. <laughs> so thank you guys. Uh, thank you, Brent, for, for joining me for the podcast and for helping the listeners get their ADHD rewired. Thank you for listening to another episode of ADHD Rewired. And if you're new to the show, welcome to ADHD Rewired. We are more than just a podcast. We are a community focused on learning, growing, and connection. You can see a full outline of this and all other episodes with all the links and other resources mentioned during this interview at ADHDrewired.com. Help support this podcast by checking out my sponsors. I use Zoom video conferencing nearly every day and so can you. Go free or go pro. But please go to erictibbers.com slash Zoom so they know that I sent you. And you can get a free audiobook from Audible at erictibbers.com slash Audible. And next time you shop Amazon, use the Amazon search portal at ADHDrewired.com. A small percentage of your purchase will go to support this show. And it doesn't cost you anything extra. You can also support this podcast by leaving an honest rating and review in iTunes or Stitcher. This really helps other people find this show. And don't forget to hit subscribe so you never miss an episode. 
Don't just be a passive listener, be an active member of the ADHD Rewired community. We are on Facebook. You can like our page, but please submit your request to join our free and growing community. And don't forget to check your other inbox because I screen everybody before they come into our community. Looking for a coach? If you're still listening at this point and you answered yes, come to my website at ADHDrewire.com and schedule your free 20-minute consultation or call me at 224-993-9450. Is your school, business, or organization hiring speakers? I provide fun and engaging presentations full of practical solutions that both educate and entertain. Hire me for your next professional development day or corporate training event. Go to ADHDrewired.com slash talks. Thanks for listening. I'll catch you next week.